Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. We've just come through this season of Lent, and we went through Holy Week, and we get to Easter, and uh, sometimes in the church, we kind of have this collective like, okay, that's over with. And we don't really move on. We don't actually often uh, focus on the rest of the story, that there's more to the story of Jesus uh, as uh, Resurrection Sunday is over. And this is how Luke tells the rest of Jesus' earthly ministry here in Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the time or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This is Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, uh, to continue to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that you are the risen and now the ascended king. I pray that you would be with us this morning. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us this morning through me or despite me? In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, we come through Holy Week. We celebrate uh, Palm Sunday here at Spring Creek. We had our love feast and communion uh, that Palm Sunday evening. We go through Holy Week. We go past Maundy Thursday. Some congregations have their love feast and communion on Maundy Thursday. And then we went through Good Friday, through the, the darkness of Jesus' death on the cross. And then we get to Resurrection Sunday, and we are celebrating, and it's great. And uh, I hope you got a chance to see uh, the cross at the end of the day, just covered in flowers. It looked beautiful. It was wonderful to see that. And we get through that time, and then we have in Scripture, uh, a period of time, 40 days, that Jesus is back showing himself, ministering to his disciples. He continues to preach and teach them about the kingdom of God. He's, he's with them in different times, in different places. There's a couple of occasions where they're gathered together and they're 
eating a meal and he's suddenly in their midst, even though the doors are closed, even though everything's kind of boarded up because they're hiding, and he's there with them. Uh, Thomas misses out on that and he says, I don't believe you. I saw him die. Uh, I know you laid him in the tomb. Dead people stay dead. And uh, Jesus comes and he shows his hands. He shows his side. He shows proof that he is alive. And that's what Luke tells us. He showed many convincing proofs that it wasn't just this story. There wasn't just a grave robbery that had happened. It wasn't just a whole bunch of people hallucinating over 40 days. But Jesus had come back to bodily life. He was up walking around. We have some stories of a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus is there walking along with them, explaining to them uh, from the Hebrew Bible the, the good news of the Messiah. And it's not until they stop and he eats with them that they really recognize who this is. I would love to be known by the way I sit and eat with people and celebrate with them. I know you can tell where my kids have eaten because of the mess they leave at the table afterwards. But Jesus is known for who he is by the way he sits and meets with them and, and eats with them. I think that would be really interesting to not recognize somebody until they pray and they break the bread and pass the cup and, oh, now we know. Now we know who we're dealing with. So Luke begins Acts by saying that he had shown many convincing proofs. Jesus continues to teach them about the kingdom of God. Jesus has been brought through death and back. His followers have also been on kind of a, a crazy journey alongside with Jesus. Most of his followers, most of the, the disciples, at least I think this is interesting, um, there's been a, uh, there was a documentary series on History Channel over the last couple of weeks about the life of Jesus through the perspective of a number of different people around his life. And one of the episodes was about Mary Magdalene. And what they touched base with is... It's really interesting that the male disciples all kind of run and hide, deny, doubt, all that, but the women are there still at the cross other than John, uh, caring for him. It's they who plan to anoint his body uh, on that resurrection Sunday. It's Mary who comes and finds the tomb empty and becomes the first apostle, the first one to come and proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive. We have Peter and his post-resurrection story. He had denied Jesus three times and at one of these meals, Jesus is with him and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him three times, one time for every time he said, I don't even know you. I don't know him. I swear to you, I do not know him. Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Go feed my sheep. Judas, of course, is out of the picture. Thomas gets a bad rap for asking what the rest of us would probably ask. But Jesus is back, and I'm sure his disciples have just gone through this emotional roller coaster of like 
Holy Week and seeing everything that has happened. And now Jesus is back with them, walking with them, teaching with them. And I'm sure in some ways they felt like, man, we are back to the good old days. It's just like things were. Except it's not. Something has fundamentally changed in the resurrection. And then Jesus tells his disciples to get together in Jerusalem. In the scripture that I read, the, the disciples want to know, okay, so now are we going to destroy the Romans? Is this the time when we're going to bring back the kingdom of Israel and we're going to kick some butt and take some names and restore this kingdom to the way it was in the days of David? And Jesus, I'm sure at this point, is going, ay, 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 what are you doing? He says, it's not for you to know when and where and exactly how God chooses to do what God is going to do. But he looks at them and he says, instead, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem to the Jewish people, to the, to the seat of power of the Jewish religion. You will be my witnesses to the re religious establishment and to those that are maintaining the status quo. You will be my witnesses in Judea to the wider people group. To in, that includes Romans and others that Jews often didn't associate with. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Samaria. And I'm sure the disciples once again kind of step back and go, what? Those dirty, rotten, no good, yeah, those Samaritans. He says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jew, Gentile, Roman, Greek, barbarian, whatever, they all need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. And as Jesus has given them this mission, then in verse 9, he ascends. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And just like that, Jesus is gone again. Now look, today is not technically Ascension Day. It's 40 days after Easter. Don't tell anyone we're doing Ascension Day today for our purposes, okay? But so often we fail to, to talk about this story and realize the significance for our own lives. We skip over the ascension. We might focus on the words of Jesus' great commission, either in Matthew 28 or here in Acts chapter 1. But have you ever stopped to wonder about this event, about this, this story of Jesus' ascension? I wonder what that would have looked like. Jesus is hidden by a cloud. And like, I mean, how far up did he get? What did that look like? What point did the cloud hide him? Um, yeah, I just have all kinds of questions wondering what that would look like. We've often pictured heaven as up there, right? Heaven is up there, hell is down there. Although we know that they're not really spatially located like that. There's no, you can't get in a shuttle or a rocket and go up to heaven, no amount of up there is going to get you to heaven, and you know, what's up there for one person is down there for somebody on the other hemisphere, and 
So where is heaven? What, is, what does it mean for Jesus to ascend? Well, heaven is the realm of God, not somewhere up there or down there, depending on where you're at, but a reality, a, a plane close and connected to our physical space. Heaven is not a place for floating, disembodied spirits. In the resurrection, Jesus is redeeming the physical world that God created initially as good. If you think back to the story of Genesis, God creates all the parts of creation and He looks down at them and He says, this is good, this is good, this is good. And He looks at humanity, His image bearers, His icons, and He says, this is really good. And God doesn't change His mind and say, yeah, you know what, it's really not that great. So I'm just going to get rid of it. We're just going to deal with spirits. Jesus doesn't shed his earthly corruptible body. Rather, the whole resurrected, redeemed, physical self goes to heaven. Sometimes when I think about the ascension, I think, you know, this whole Christian thing and living for Jesus and proclaiming the good news and, and belief would have been a whole lot easier if Jesus would have just stuck around I mean, he's already died. He's already come back to life. Why does he have to leave? Why can't he be here? Belief would be a whole lot easier or different anyway if he were still here. But what's interesting to me is that the disciples never look back. Peter and, and John, they never go, ah, I wish for the good old days when Jesus was here and, and we got to eat bread with him and walk along the road with them. I, I wish we could go back to that. Paul is, is never caught saying, yeah, you know, I was really busy trying to uh, establish the Jewish faith and crush any uprising when Jesus was here. I wish I could go sit at his feet. No, instead they look forward expectantly. They look forward. They're, they're busy living out the kingdom of God now, but they're also waiting expectantly for the culmination, the full version of the kingdom of God on earth. So why is this ascension story important for our faith? All of the early church confessions, all, all the things that Christians said, here's what we believe included the ascension, included Jesus' life, his, his death, his resurrection, but also the fact that he had gone to be with God and was planning on coming again. This was an important part of their faith. Well, one of the reasons I think it's important for us is that Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, in his Humanity, Jesus is bound to one place at one time. He, he came in first century Judea to the Jewish people and he walked and, and breathed in that time. And being bound by his human existence, he couldn't be all places at all times. But when he returns and the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills the church with His Spirit, now the church can minister and, can, and reach out and can grow in ways that it can't do just with one person leading the show. The 
Holy Spirit comes. And now the church is involved in proclaiming the good news and healing and teaching and growing ways that it just couldn't do before. Jesus seems to tell us, too, that unless He returns to the Father, the Holy Spirit can't come and the church can't really get on with the mission of reconciliation and living out the kingdom. Now, I don't really understand why Jesus has to return in order for the Holy Spirit to come. I don't know why that is. But that's what Jesus says in John chapter 16. And so He returns and He sends the Holy Spirit who comes as an advocate as a helper, as the Holy Spirit to empower the church. I wonder sometimes, too, why, we, why do we call it the ascension? It means it's going up. Does Jesus have, like, vertical takeoff abilities? It's like Superman, and he points his fist up, and he goes. I don't, I don't really know. Is it the direction that he goes, or is Jesus ascending in a different way? If you have your Bibles, turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23 say this, God put this power to work in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And He has put all things under His feet and made Him the head over all things for the church, which is His body the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Does Jesus ascend because He goes up? Or does He ascend to the throne? Is He being glorified as the King Jesus? This is what Christ, Messiah, Lord means in the New Testament. Sometimes we think His name is Jesus Christ. Christ is His last name. Christ isn't His last name. Christ is a title it's the, the Greek version of Messiah. It is, both has divine meanings, but it also has royal meanings. This is the son of David. This is the king, the Lord. So how does this ascension impact us? If you're still in Ephesians, flip over to chapter 2. And verse 4 says this, but God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. In the last two weeks, we've talked about how we identify with Christ in His death, and then we are identified with Christ in His resurrection. And then Paul goes on to write this, By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, we have an opportunity to identify with Christ in His death and then in His resurrection and then also in the ascension. In Jesus, humanity, creation is being redeemed and restored. Around the first century, uh, there was this Greek idea that um, matter, flesh and blood and, and this physical existence was gross. It was yucky and it was sinful. And the purpose of life was to enlighten your mind and, and gain this spiritual existence 
that was separated from this flesh and blood. It was called Gnosticism. And it started to creep into the church, and, and the church met together and goes, I don't think that's right. See, God said this is good. And Jesus comes back to bodily life. And in the book of Revelation, we see God making a new heavens and a new earth. He is restoring and and remaking the Garden of Eden. And it's not because this flesh and blood is bad. God is renewing it and redeeming it. This idea sometimes comes into the church today. Even some of our old hymns talk about throwing off this mortal coil and one, one day we'll just be out of this flesh and blood and body. We'll get rid of this stuff and we'll just become a spirit. But in the ascension, in, in Revelation, we see God redeeming the good creation. God is mending His broken icons, His image bearers. Another part of the ascension that we talked about this morning as we were praying is that we have a human who has experienced temptation, pain, suffering, betrayal, love, beauty. We have that Jesus, fully God and fully human, interceding, praying, and and helping God understand what we're going through. That is good news, that we have a God who knows and feels and and has experienced all that. Not just some God going, ah, well, looks like a mess down there. But a God who, who knows, who can sympathize with us. This is good news. You know, the truth of the ascension story is that I think God could have said, Jesus, I need you to stay down there. You're just going to stay down there. Because let's be honest, those disciples are some dumb fishermen. And there's a tax collector, and honestly, I don't think a lot of people are going to listen to him. And some of the most faithful disciples are women, and their testimony doesn't count for anything in that culture. So, Jesus, I'm just going to have you stay down there so that we get this message right. Because after all, everybody knows that no one's going to do it quite as well as you are. But that would change Jesus' life and ministry, everything that he was about. That's not what God does. Instead, Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm redeeming creation. I'm interceding with the Father. I'm preparing things for you to join me. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit as a helper, as an advocate. But I'm also sending you to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. See, God wants to partner with us, to use us as messed up and broken people to go and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. If Jesus stays, I'm sure he can voice the message better than we can. But he's about redeeming and restoring and partnering with us in the kingdom of God. 
He wants us to be people who engage in the ministry of reconciliation, of proclaiming to others, look, you can be forgiven and and made right with God. You don't have to be far away from Him. You don't have to live in opposition to God anymore. God is not in opposition to you. We're called to be people who care for the people that Jesus cared for, the outcasts, the marginalized, those that are broken, that, that are in need of healing. We're called to be people who live out the reign of Christ now. And this is why two men in robes show up as Jesus has disappeared from their vision and they're, they're stuck there for a moment. Well, I, I understand it. What on earth has just happened? They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? Jesus has gone, but he'll come again. In the meantime, he gave you a mission. He gave you something to do. He gave you a message and a life to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he's not here anymore. And he's entrusted this mission, this project to you. He's not here anymore. He's, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you to go and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world. In the middle of your bulletin is a prayer out of church tradition from Teresa of Avila, who says, look, there is no physical Jesus walking around here anymore. Instead, you are called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world. As we close the sermon this morning, uh, I'd like us to watch uh, a a video that has this prayer. I'd also like you to uh, watch the imagery that's happening and um, think about the kingdom of God in a different way.